JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Bob Kravitz of The Athletic joins us. I want to start, if you don't mind, with Rutgers and IU. Can it be as simple as just any consistent support on a nightly basis for anybody with Trace Jackson Davis in mind for this IU team? And they're right there. Is it that simple? Yeah, I I really think it is. I mean, you look at uh, the game on Saturday – and really the difference in the game, even though Trace played really well and Edie was incredible, I mean, the bottom line was that Jalen hood Shafino was the difference maker down the stretch, made four of the last five buckets for IU, scored I think 12 of his 16 in the second half. So, yeah, I, I think it comes down to their supporting staff, uh, supporting group, uh, you know, whether it's Galloway or Bates or whoever, it might be tonight, but I think it's a close game tonight, and I think they find a way to win. It's uh, Bob Kravitz with us. Rutgers has been an incredible pain in the ass most recently, yeah. well, really for a lot of teams, but certainly IU. What makes them that Woody Woodpecker type of instigator within the Big Ten? It seems like that everybody at times still is surprised when they pop up and do what they're doing right now, and that surprise, Bob, should be long gone at this point. Right. Well, I mean, they're they're great at the rack, which uh, I'm told I've never been there, but I'm told it's uh, a really tough place to play. And I think IU and, and Purdue have shown that um, they are just a tough-minded team that plays really good defense. Um, they've they've got a lot of a lot of veteran leadership, so I just think they're they're just a tough out for anybody, and. You know that's that's why they're in second, right, second place in the Big Ten right now. All right, Bob, with Purdue, you're coming off that loss, your second of the year, and really the tables were turned. And something we just talked about with Trace, Trace got that support. Zach Eady on Saturday afternoon, early Saturday evening, did not get offensive support. And in fact, we probably saw that freshman backcourt not yeah. play to the level on which we we become accustomed to in that particular game. What do you expect from Matt Painter's team later on this week? Well, look, I, I I think they're fine. I think this is a this was a blip. Um, I don't think it's a sign that they're in any kind of trouble. I just thought the two freshman guards looked like freshman guards for the first time, really all year. I thought that Lawyer and Smith uh, were not at the top of their games. I, I think they faced an atmosphere that they've never faced before. Um, you know, I mean, they've been in tough environments, but let's face it, Bloomington, Indiana, 
for a game that big against number one, that place was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so I just think they they acted, they played like freshmen. Gillis didn't give them much. First was pretty good early on. So, I look, I think Purdue's going to be just fine. You know, if you're asking me, which you're not, who's uh, – I who's could if you wanted me to. I will, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Ask me who's going to go further in the NCAA tournament. Who will go further in the NCAA tournament, Bob? I think IU. Well, why would you suggest such an answer? Please elaborate. Because, because, and thank you for asking. <laughs> I, I really feel like uh, Huchifino is just going to blow up. I mean, he's already blown up these last, whatever, six, seven, eight games uh, since Xavier went out. Except that one for 14 last Tuesday night. Well, he blew up in a different direction. Play. Yeah. That, that was the one, again, that was his one bad game. But he's right. generally been terrific. He's averaged, what, about 16, 17 points per game. Uh, so, you know, aside from that game, he's been very good. So I just think IU has a higher ceiling. I'm going to get so much crap. Yeah, you're going to give Boilermaker fans more of a complex they already have because they don't even care uh, yeah, what's going I on know. right now until mid-March. I, I, I just feel I, – look – Purdue is great. They are great, man. But I worry that you go into the NCAA tournament with with those two freshman guards, and if Zach Eady, who has learned how to defend without fouling, if you get one of those referees who likes to blow the whistle because he's just too damn big and he gets in foul trouble, I'm not sure that Kaufman-Wren is in a position just yet to – come in and, and, and be very good in his stead. So I think, gosh, this sounds like a column I ought to write. I think IU is going to go deeper in the NCAA tournament than Purdue. See, I will tell you this, from what you just explained to Purdue, um, and, and people can debate whether or not that's accurate where we are, but I think IU has similar issues. Similar issues mm-hmm. to what you're talking about. And that's that's just a, a lack of consistent support. And I know what you're you're counting on is is Jalen Hood Shafino to give that. Right. I just we just haven't seen it on any level of IU consistently speaking. And when we have seen it, other than Illinois, when we saw it on the road, it's normally been in Bloomington. Right. But you know, you're talking about uh you know, being uh you know uh, you know, on uh, well, the NCAA tournament, you got you know, you're 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 on a neutral court. I, I just, I think IU, I, I think Bates, before it's all over, Bates is going to be a big player. Geronimo has obviously been hurt, but I think he comes back. And look, Xavier Johnson comes back. It's going to be really interesting to see how Mike Woodson works through that with Jalen hood Shafino playing so well. It's uh, Bob Kravitz of The Athletic with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I'll move to the Colts and Super Bowl week coming up in just a minute, too, because I've got a couple of interesting things regarding their, their coaching search to size you up on. But you had a, a story regarding what took place a week ago Sunday in Memphis after the game, right. something that we all saw. And in fact, Bob, I asked Miles, he was on the show last Tuesday, and I asked him about what took place on the floor. And he kind of he kind of laughed it off. Um, you could tell he thought it was a clown show going on on the baseline there at the game, but he kind of laughed it off. But clearly from what you're reporting and Sam Amick's reporting in The Athletic, there was no laughing matter in the loading dock beneath FedEx form after that game. No, it got real serious. It got a little scary. I mean, certainly scary for the, uh, for the uh, Pacers 
uh, traveling party. Um, they they came out to the bus. They uh, you know hung out uh, in the loading dock, and suddenly these five or six guys who are all uh, John Moran's associates, I guess that's the word we use, buddies, friends. Um, they uh, decided to approach uh, the traveling party, and for about fifteen or twenty minutes, there's a lot of screaming and yelling and uh, threatened threats going on. And uh, once Ja came out, he went into a, an SUV, and that SUV uh, drove by the team, uh, by the uh, uh, the people, the Pacers folks. And at one point, yeah, slowed way down, and a red laser was pointed at players, coaches, and support staff, and. The security person for the for um, for uh, the Pacers was completely convinced that it was a gun. So and yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So it got that's fine. So it got it got a little dicey. They drove off. Nothing happened. Um, I tend to think that the league and the Grizzlies just don't want this out there. Uh, they were very defensive uh, when when we approached them with this story, but. Hey, look, if you're the Pacers and you feel like you had a gun pulled on you, I mean. Now you can't let that was, go. You can't let that go. Just, oh, well, we, yeah. You feel like you're threatened. Yeah. You got to do something. And it's not like you, the guy was doing a PowerPoint presentation with one of those red laser beams. I mean, I don't know squat about guns, but uh, from what I'm told, uh, you know, a lot of guns have those red laser beam sort of sights affixed uh, to them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a scary situation. So Bob Kravitz with us from The Athletic. It, the Pacer security official uh, was not named, but, you know, obviously got the quote in, in your article there. Is that a Pacers guy or is that somebody that is, you know, a part of the NBA security family, I guess, for lack of a better description? Yeah, the Pacers security person was overheard saying that is 100% a gun. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I you know, I mean, you can question why the Pacers didn't go to the police. I think they wanted to keep it in-house to a degree. But they, they felt like the NBA and the, and the Grizzlies were sweeping this under the rug. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, it was important to them to get this story out. So is this over? Right now? I think it is. I think it is. I think there is a larger story that has been hinted at in the last couple of days by people like Shannon Sharp and uh, Brian Windhorst that the culture um, in Memphis, there's something wrong. There's something really wrong. And they need – because this is not the only incident they've had in Memphis. I mean, you had uh, Dylan Brooks hitting Mitchell on the Nuggets. You had, all, you know, the whole Shannon Sharp thing. So, you know, it, it reminds me, John, of the early days of Allen Iverson when there was all this concern about the people he was he was hanging out with. And I think the same concern, uh, you know, you got the same concern with uh, John Moran. Wow. And, and his dad – his dad's going to, have to step out. I mean, his dad yeah. is so sucking up the spotlight right now. 
And then whatever, the friend of his that got kicked out of the FedEx Forum a week ago Sunday, he walked out onto the floor approaching Chris Duarte. His name is Devontae Pack, and they've had problems with him, uh, you know, before. And uh, I don't know if he is one of the people who is being uh, told not to return. I would think so. Uh, I know that some people in – Morant's group have been told they're no longer welcome uh, at the arena in Memphis with the FedEx Forum, I guess it is. So that's kind of where it stands. I mean, the NBA and and the Grizzlies claimed that uh, that they looked into it. And what what, what did uh, uh, Josh say today? It's mostly false yeah, or whatever, right? So yeah, okay. So right. so that uh, I mean, does, does that does that mean that the Pacers they, the, the Pacers are lying about this? The Pacers are making more? What, what, what does that mean from a Pacers standpoint when they just drop this as quickly as they're dropping this? Well, I mean, look, the, the league supposedly looked into it. The Grizzlies supposedly looked into it. Um, I don't know where you go from now. I mean, they've decided that it's uh, no big deal, uh, but I think it it. it it's part of a larger narrative with the Memphis Grizzlies that they're a team that uh, courts courts trouble wherever they go, whether it's on the floor or off the floor. No video evidence of any kind, well, nothing. Well, here, I mean, they said they watched the video from the loading dock, and they claimed that they could not confirm that uh, there was a gun. And, and I can understand that. I mean, you're, you're, you're the guy. The the SUV is driving by the bus, which they had to have seen, and you know, and so, but but they didn't see a gun, so there's not there's not much they can do. It's well, it's really yeah. the Pacers' word against theirs. I would have to think that it was if it was somebody not involving, you know, a a Grizzlies player and certainly one of the magnitude of John Morant, if that's just average people that would, you know, fly by and, and threaten, I mean, they would be dealt with, right? They would be right. dealt with further than what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, so the, the Grizzlies have told a couple of those guys that they're no longer welcome back in the arena. They've been they've been told you're you're done here. But I, I really think you've got a problem with John Morant, who is trying to act a certain way, surrounds himself with certain people, and it's not a good look for him. It's not a good look for the league, and it's potentially very dangerous. So Bob Kravitz of The Athletic with us. I, I saw where he had mentioned how they are being wrongly portrayed. My words, not his here. But – it'd be so easy for him to be the absolute NBA darling. The NBA begs for him to be the darling. That market is full of up-and-coming young talent out West. They are begging for them to be the darlings, yet they don't want to be. It seems like that that they want, and and he, John Morant, as their leader and the face of their team, wants to be something different and wants to be something different and then not end up owning it in the public eye, I guess. He wants to be a badass. He wants the team to be team badass. You know, he wants – they want – I mean, you look back at the old uh, uh, the old Pistons. They were the bad boys, but they were the bad boys on the floor. You didn't have this kind of crap going on 
outside. You know, uh, I mean, obviously the brawl was scary as hell, but you think back to the bad boys days, you never heard about, you know, Lambeer or Isaiah or any of those guys, Mahorn, you know, threatening anybody in the loading dock uh, after a game. Yeah, well, Lambeer's daddy wasn't sitting courtside with his sunglasses on, acting like a jackass either. Right, that's true, too. That's true, too. Yeah, uh, it is really silly. But, I mean, they, you know, blaming, you know, the media and the way that they're portrayed in these so-called inaccurate reports, look in the mirror, fellas. You could be the darlings if you wanted to be. Be the darlings. And and really, you, you look at it. It's affected their game, or you could at least, I think, suggest it has with the way that they played when all this yeah, stuff has happened. Eight out of nine, nine yeah. out of ten. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're really struggling. And you're right. I mean, everybody loves the John Morant story from yes. a small school. And, and he's the most, I would argue, he's the most dynamic player uh, in the league right now. And yet he's got this uh, reputation that he he seems intent on growing that I don't think is good for for him or for the league. And then for us, Desmond Baines from Richmond, just a, a, a good kid, a great story. Jake Laravius from the Northeast side in LC, you know, a great story uh, to a degree. I guess you can talk about, you know, John Jackson Jr. who went to Park Tudor for a second. And then, you know, obviously uh, John Conchar who played at Fort Wayne. They got a lot of Indiana ties in there, but they, they make themselves unlikable. They, they do. They do. And uh, I, you know, I, I've gotten very little in the way of negative backlash um, on this story. A lot of people are like, well, this kind of fits the bill for the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant based on the way they have they have and he has been acting this year. So Bob Kravitz of The Athletic. All right, Pacers, any trade deadline activity? I don't think they're going to do much, but I also said that uh, Miles Turner would not re-sign here. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I've, I have completely celebrated the Miles Turner extension. Here. I know you have. So I I know so, you have. I, I've done a couple of victory laps. I don't. Uh, I don't think they're going to do anything major. I think they'll do some things around the around the fringes uh, with some guys, but I don't see anything major. Uh, I don't think they'll either be a seller or a buyer at this point. If they were going to be a seller, it would have been it would have involved Miles. And now that Miles is signed and and he's here for a while, um, I don't think anything major is going to happen. Which means something major is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so you think you think Miles is going to be here for a while? I mean, we're not going to ever stop least, hearing Miles trade stuff, are we? No, no, no. He, he's here this year, um, but with this new contract, he is a very uh, valuable trade commodity for other teams because he's not making a ton of money. I think he's 22 next year and 19 the next year. He, If I wanted to trade for a stretch center, uh, I would certainly be interested in Miles Turner. So I don't think we're done hearing the trade rumors, uh, but I don't think we're going to hear them here in the next couple of days. I think I think they're going to hold on to him for now, and then we'll see where things go after that. I told him this last week. This this with Halliburton is the best spot for him in the NBA. It is. There's no better spot for him than this place. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I'd like to see them eventually get a good four-man. You know, I mean, they're playing small ball with Neesmith and and whatever, but I I think if you can pair him with a really good rebounding four, um, I I think that would be really helpful. Now, I mean, Ananobi is not a great rebounder, but I think in every other conceivable way he'd be perfect for this team. That said, I don't see them giving up the kind of assets that the Toronto Raptors would necessarily want. Yeah, I think the the conversation, at least as it was told to me yesterday, would be, you know, it, like a Duarte and two first rounders. I think, um, yeah. you know, John Collins in Atlanta would be Duarte and one first rounder. So, I mean, that's, I, yeah, I guess, I kind of what you're them, looking at. I don't see them giving up their, their I mean, it's assuming they're, in the lottery, which we can't assume yet, but if they're in the lottery, they got to hold on to that because this is a really good deep draft. And, you know, I mean, look, I, I like John Collins, I like OG. If they can pull it off, great. But I think at this point, at this point, staying, staying, uh, you know, just holding on to what you got is probably the way to go unless you make some moves around the fringes. Uh, but I, I don't see anything major, but you never know. So Bob Kravitz with us. Before I let you go, so clearly this is going to be Shane Steichen because it, it, in all honesty, Bob, in all, why would you wait? Because you could drop you know, a head coaching hire right now and people say, well, you can't do it during Super Bowl week. I mean, what, what type of ripple? Well, it's the Colts. They were terrible last year. Unless they rehired Jeff Saturday, that is more than a ripple. But if you hire, you know, somebody else in this case, I mean, really, what type of effect newsworthiness is it going to have on the Super Bowl leading up to? Not much. Come on. Not much. Not much. I, I mean, I think it's either Steichen I think it's, uh, and this is based on nothing. Let me make that clear. This is just based on what I've I've observed. Okay, I think it's either Steichen, Callahan, or Raheem Morris. Uh, I think more likely the first two guys. I think they want, and they should, they want a state-of-the-art young offensive mind uh, who has worked uh, with young quarterbacks. And I think both those guys, Callahan and Steichen, fit the bill. So I, I would strongly figure that it's going to be one of those two guys. But, uh, again, these are the Indianapolis Colts, and we've seen some weird stuff this year. So once it gets back to – you know, once it gets down to Jim Mersey giving his final approval, uh, we just don't really know. Do you think that Jim Mersey with what he's – accomplished i guess if you want to call it that an accomplishment with jeff saturday has that wrecked jeff saturday's reputation and what he did as a player here no no look I, I think jeff will always be a beloved a beloved figure here in indianapolis he you know i mean he was peyton's guy for the longest time Look, i i think some things have happened you know uh some of the excuse making that we heard i thought really reflected poorly on Jeff um, for why the team struggled as badly as they did. But I think it'll be forgotten pretty quickly, and I think people will go back to thinking of Jeff in a very fond manner. Do you think if he would have, or his team in this case, would have beaten 
Philly, which was reasonable to suggest. Mm-hmm. Dallas, more than reasonable. Minnesota, more than reasonable. They get one yeah. one of those games, maybe two. Is he the head coach right now? Well, that's a good question. Damn straight. That's why I'm here. That's why you are here. And uh, <laughs> I'm here to give you a really good answer. And I'm not yeah, sure I'm I got one, man. I'm, I'm not sure I got one. I, I would think that if they had won three or four games down the stretch, that that would have given Jim Ursay every excuse to say, yep, that's my guy. Yeah. He's the culture. So, yeah, I think he probably, if they could have held on to some of those games, which they clearly did not, then, yeah, I think uh, there's a distinct possibility that Jeff Saturday is here. We um, we both know this, that sometimes organizationally over there, they can have like uh, a 107-year-old man wearing uh, diaper type of leakage. Um, what can you speak to the reason why there's been little to no leakage as far as information is concerned there? Well, I, I think because I think because Chris is really – in charge of this this whole process and you know as good as chris is with the media when it's time to buckle down uh he's very careful about what he says and to whom so i think it's a sign that uh that ballard is really running the show at this point uh and you know you think about other coaching uh other hiring processes here in Indianapolis, not a lot has gotten out, if you remember. So, uh, well, I mean, when the, when they hired Reich, when McDaniel's that thing was like the Titanic of spilling information. Then, I mean, oh, that's yeah. when everything went haywire. Yeah, that was crazy. But no, I just think it's a, I think it's Ballard, and Ballard is very very tight lipped when he needs to be. So, Bob Kravitz of the Athletic, what's next? What are you writing about? Well, I want to see what's going to happen with the trade deadline. And I want to see what happens with Pacers, with the Colts uh, head coaching situation. Uh, right now, I'm not doing a whole hell of a lot, but I'll, uh, I'll get I'll get back on the stick. Here. <laughs> hey, I got my I got my one scoop per 15 years. That's so beautiful. I'm just I'm just sitting on that. Honestly, I've told you this before. You could uh, the scoop wise, you had the scoop of all scoops. What the flake game? There, there's nothing, and I, I mean, all writers around here, all media personnel in sports, there's never going to be anything bigger than that. No, never. no, I, uh, that's going to be on my tombstone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. like the you're like the band Boston when they came out with their first album and more on the feeling hit. Yeah, you know, they were never going to get anything close to that. You know what I mean? No, no. I'm, so. this, this is my pathetic attempt to <laughs> to, to raise my level to uh, the flake game, but. This is definitely number two or three. Well done. Level. Hey, we still count on you, buddy. We still count on you. Don't forget that. Talking to you. Right back at you, bud. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From ESPN.com, Stephen Holder joins us. So that's really what Chris Ballard had said going back a month ago in that that presser. What do you think Jim Irsay felt compelled to tweet that? Well, there's actually more. 
Oh, well, there is? Have I missed more? Oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. I mean, it's not earth-shattering, but I'm not tooting my own horn or anything, but it's just adding context. Okay. He retweeted, he retweeted my tweet earlier today, Uh-oh. which which basically said, I quoted Chris Ballard's take on this whole thing, uh, which is exactly what you know he outlined in that that second tweet he retweeted that you can look at it on his timeline from earlier today which was basically him saying he being ballard saying i don't care if it takes till mid february and so here we are <laughs> so okay he was reinforcing that he was reinforcing <laughs> it that's what he's doing mike garofalo played off of his tweet and I think he's NFL, NFL Network, whatever. Indications have yeah. been the Colts have narrowed down their list to a few finalists early this week, though they've kept those names tight for now. Jim Irsay says the process will continue for a few more days. So this has got to be Shane Steichen, right? Because you could go ahead and drop a coaching hire right now, and it's not going to make any more than a ripple around the NFL and Super Bowl a week. Who's really going to care beyond us? Uh, I mean, it's a reasonable guess. I, I get that. I, I do get that. I will say, however, look, this thing has been shrouded in a lot of secrecy, okay? Listen, a lot of people have been saying a lot of damn things the last few weeks. Do not listen to them. A lot of it's been wrong. And that's something people in the building have been telling me. It's like, we don't know what all this crap is, where all this crap is coming from. I know I listen, I haven't I haven't been very vocal about developments in this thing. There's a reason for that, because it's been hard to tell what's happening. And when I've said something, it's because I felt pretty, pretty secure about it. You know, like today, I said effectively that they are they're done with the interviews as far as I know, and they reserve the right to go back to someone if they need to. But right now, that is not the plan. Uh, They. They are, as has already been established, holding on to the defensive staff. Multiple candidates are interested in keeping those uh, staffers. We know that. Uh, and, you know, a handful of other things. But the truth is they have really uh, – give them credit. It's frustrating, but they've done a good job of keeping this thing under wraps. And, and a lot of people have been wrong about a lot of things. I'll just leave it at that. I'm not talking about you. And this is not, I'm, not, I'm not like I'm – not, I'm, not, I'm not like, you know – sending you a, a, a no, no, that's message okay. here. That's I'm talking okay. about just generally. You know, there's been a lot of stuff speculated and reported and you know, a lot of it has been a little bit too loose. Well I I have I have said this and and I I obviously I, I've I've said it in this fashion. We haven't heard a lot, but you know, a couple of rumors I have heard, and one was that Jeff Saturday as of uh, last week, maybe even a couple weeks ago now knew that he was not going to be a part of the ultimate final decision. Um, I don't know whether or not you agree with that. And the the other part of it, I I don't know. And again, this is just that was just a rumor. And I've mentioned that every time is that in part, he knows that he wasn't going to get the gig and he knew that it wasn't going to work with Chris Ballard moving forward. And I think at the very least, both of those idea wise, you know, true or untrue, whatever, they're reasonable to suggest that could be accurate. I agree. I mean, all both plausible. Okay. Both plausible. Um, I would say, I don't know on, on Jeff in terms of whether he, has has heard anything officially that I, I don't I just don't know I don't know um, I, I will tell you that it's it is interesting that we haven't heard about candidates being eliminated 
uh, because the reason I say that, that I'm talking beyond him, not just Jeff. I mean, just in general, because what typically happens is the word gets out, right? And uh, they they tell their their current team, "Hey, I'm out, so hey, I'm I'm back on the job," right? Or they tell their agent, etc. Right? That word gets out. It's really hard to keep it a secret because particularly when they tell their their current employer if you work for just i'm making this up right if you work for uh the arizona cardinals and i just use them as just a random example you work for the arizona cardinals and the coach tell you you are no longer uh a, a part of their coaching search and you go tell the cardinals well now the whole staff knows and they're going to tell everybody right so so it is interesting that that hasn't happened and i don't know whether it's because they haven't told people just to kind of keep it under wraps, but like I said, I, I give them credit. They've done a, a very good and frustrating job of, of keeping this thing quiet. The other thing is uh, they have been very sensitive, and this includes Jim Mercer, very sensitive to the idea that that they are this sort of incompetent. Like they hate it. They absolutely hate it. And I mean, I would too, right? I mean, I, I would be. I, I think I may, be, I may be the only one that embraces that. Maybe it's me. Being incompetent is a part of the three hours that you hear every day right here. So I just embrace it. <laughs> that was my word, not their word. But <laughs> but I'll just say they're sensitive to that, right? Because and, and that was kind of something I communicated today, which was, look, they told us it was going to be a long search. And they are saying, look, this is this is us. Proceeding according to what we said we were going to do, right? Which is which is also fair, right? So, so we'll see. I mean, and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, why is this? Why are they having twelve-hour interviews with people, right? And I think I'm not saying that's unprecedented, but but it's a lot, but particularly with with seven, I believe, different candidates who have come in. It's a lot. It's a lot of hours. Why? Uh, well, one of the things they have always said and continue to say is that. You know, they they want to be really, really, really thorough because I think the lesson here is one that they learned with Josh McDaniels. And this hasn't been said, but my takeaway is that they didn't give people a fair shake the last time because maybe they were too focused on McDaniels. Well, and then, you know, that was floating around out there and then all hell broke loose, you know, as far as leaks informationally yeah. when, when yeah. Jim Irsay got embarrassed by Josh McDaniel stepping away in that last hour. Then, you know, when once he went to, you know, Manning to Dungey to Polin and all this guy, there was everything floating around then. I mean, it was a book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's another lesson. And and I'll tell you, that's why, you know, even when it comes to, to things like free agency, watch the, the language that the team uses a lot of times. Everything uh, tends to be agreed to terms. And, and even when they do – uh, you know, confirm that someone's agreed to terms. They're very, very reluctant to do that even, you know, and, and that is all a product of being burned by Josh McDaniels. They want pen on paper with dry ink before they say a damn thing. <laughs> so in their perfect world, that's how this is going to play out. Is um, is Eric Bannamy anywhere in this? I don't think he is. So it's uh, it's I mean, Shane Steichen. And let's let's just go by this. Shane Steichen is going to be the guy. And he's been told, "Here's some of your defensive staff." What do you think? I think it's possible. I, I don't know that. I, I mean, I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, look. I, I think if you're if you're asking me, 
Well, all right. If you're asking me about the defensive staff, I'll take that part of the question. I, I think if you can objectively look at this team last year and understand the depth of their offensive dysfunction, okay, and that's what it was, with and without uh, Frank Reich, right? And if you can objectively digest that offensive dysfunction and and view the defense, you know, in that context, I think you have to come away with a favorable opinion. And so, look, I, I was very skeptical about Gus Bradley and, and the scheme and everything, right? Because the Raiders, <laughs> there was a lot to be concerned about in 2021 with that Raiders defense. I thought he did a good job, and I thought I think it's very sustainable you know, with the players that they have. Now, as for the Shane Steichen part of your question, it is possible. But, like, I'm not assuming anything. I really, really am not. Just because uh, the the sense that I have gotten in the last day or so is that there almost is not a final decision just yet. And, And I don't know if that's the case, but that's the impression that I got. Maybe they're selling me a bill of goods, but that's what people I talked to indicated to me. Does Steichen work with Bradley prior, right, with the Chargers? Uh, I want to say yes, briefly, yes, yeah. Briefly. I don't don't know how great any of that works out, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, I think that that conversation has been had with everybody, right? Right, right. You you absolutely have had that conversation. I mean, if you're Chris Ballard, you can say, hey, look, we really like these guys, and we really think – the scheme works with the t- with the players that we have, and if you're smart, and if you're a candidate, and you're smart, you're going to have a favorable reaction to that, <laughs> hopefully, and uh, and and see whether you can make that work. And I do think that you know there's there's evidence that it can work, right? So, yeah, I think that there and there are some ties, as you said. Regardless, even if they they even if it's not a product of of Chris Ballard saying. I like these guys. I think there are enough ties among some of these candidates that you could see them uh, being in favor of keeping the defensive staff. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. If I were going to ask you, and I guess I will, to guess, who do you think it's going to be? Do you have a front-running guess? Hmm. I'm not going to stick it to you. I mean, I I know. I, 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 it's hard. I mean, I think if you ask me now and you ask me an hour from now, I'd probably give you two different answers. <laughs> okay. I, I think if it's, I think if it's a defensive guy, I think Raheem Morris, I think the, uh, on offense, um, I guess I, I guess I lean a little bit to, to, to Steichen, but, but Callahan is really intriguing to me and I, I could make a hell of a case for him, you know? Um, but I, but I also think both the, the problem with both those guys, if the, you know, problem's the wrong word, but the, the, the concern, if there is one, would be, are they ready, right? Or have they, they haven't done this before? Certainly not, you know, not older coaches per se. So uh, how, how much does that bother them? I don't know. Uh, but I, I would counter that by saying one thing I've heard from Jim Mersey consistently is that we got to be open-minded. We got to be, we got to think outside the box. We can't get stuck in, in you know, habits and, and that kind of thing when it comes to hiring. So if you apply that theory, then maybe it doesn't matter how old they are. It's uh, Stephen Holder, again, of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So no, no Wink Martindale thought ever from you? Zero? I mean, not, I mean you can't. You can't uh, 
can't ignore them, right? I mean, oh, they, I they can't. I, I think that's who I'd pick right now. People think I'm right. crazy. I think they need an old, crusty guy. He fits that. Yeah, he's got that profile I mean, all about him. There's there's certainly some appeal there. I mean, look, they they went through the effort of bringing him in, so he he resonated with somebody on that search committee enough to bring him in. And, and I'm gonna tell you, like, they didn't take this lightly. I'm telling you, they did not take this lightly. Uh, they they went through a lot of uh, exercises just in terms of putting the list together, more, much less deciding who was going to be a finalist. Like even the initial list, uh, they went to great lengths, you know, to to kind of put different types of candidates on the table, uh, different uh, different just a variety, you know. And and I think they they tried to check a lot of different boxes. So. I don't know how this is going to go, but I will tell you this. I I do feel like they have been thorough. Like this is real. This is not a, some kind of smoke screen for Jeff Saturday. I know that's the popular uh, conspiracy. I don't buy that like at all. I think this is legit. Uh, we are, we are not getting the sense from people who went through this process who feel like they were wasting their time. And that has been said before in other places. That has happened, right? I mean, look at the the Brian Flores lawsuit, for example. I'm not making this about the Rooney rule of race, but I'm just saying those. that's just an example of times where coaches have gone through the process and felt like it was a waste of my damn time, right? And, and no one has said that here. Uh, they, they have all, at least as far as I've been told, they have all gotten very, very lengthy uh, sessions with with everybody involved, including the owner, three to four hours each, uh, the finalists with Jim Mercer one on one, which is a lot of time with Jim Mercer. <laughs> okay, he can he can talk a whole lot of three or four hours, so uh, that would have been interesting. So. Hey, Stephen, if, if we're suggesting, and I have, I'll, that Jeff Saturday is not going to be a part of this at the end here, um, has has Jim Mercer with the handling of this and Jeff taking that interim gig? Has that damaged his reputation for what he brought as a player here, or is it just me looking at a a scroll of a petition and reading stuff online, or has that damaged his reputation? Because I like Jeff, and as a player, he meant so much to an era that was so necessary and so special, at least in my opinion here. Uh, it, it sucks to think about how some people have portrayed him because of these past months as the interim head coach. Uh, do you think they think of it that way, or is that just me reading on online here? I, I think in the moment there might be some people who do. But, look, I mean, I, I've had to write things in the past few months about just Saturday that I did not enjoy, okay? Listen, I'll be the first to tell you, right? And and I and I probably pissed off just Saturday a few times with some of those things I had to write, all right? It ain't, it ain't fun having an icon mad at you because you had to say some mean things, okay? So I didn't enjoy it at all. I have to tell you that. Uh, but to your question, I, do I think there are some people that have some negative opinions about him right now? Yes. But I also think that in time, he will revert to being the Jeff Saturday we remember in people's minds. And and the reason I say that, I think we have evidence of that. So look at Chuck Pagano, who by the end, people were completely done with, right? And Chuck Pagano is still embraced by the team. He still has Chuck Strong here every summer. His 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 uh, cancer fundraiser, 
for cancer research. He is still, I, I think the fans still have a favorable opinion of him, right? I mean, I've, I've been at events. With I think, I think McAf- McAfee helped that opinion out a great deal. Plus, I think yeah, the, the, the passing of time and yeah. the lack of any success basically over that time period, I think has also <laughs> helped eliminate some of that angst. Will you agree? Yeah, that's probably true, right? I mean, if, if the next coach came in and right. and won a couple titles, he'd probably feel a little different about him. But but I also think it it, it also it goes back to that, that's a part of it. That's I grant you that. I also think in the end, it's still about uh, people had a favorable opinion of him to begin with, right? Nice guy, likable, uh, beat cancer, right? People love Chuck Pagano, the guy, and so I think the same applies here, right? People love. Jeff Saturday, the guy. They may not love Jeff Saturday, the coach, but I. But I think ultimately his identity will be Jeff Saturday, the the player, and not Jeff Saturday, the coach. I mean, look, I mean Magic Johnson, right? Remember Magic Johnson coached the Lakers once? Didn't that happen? I think. Yeah, he had a talk show too. Both those didn't work very well. Right, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's not a part of his identity, right? Not to. Say, I'm not comparing their profiles. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't. You don't. You, know, da- don't, you don't think, don't think of the Magic that. Hour immediately when you hear about Magic Johnson, yeah. <laughs> right. You know what I mean. Yeah. So like that was just something he did. You know, once upon a time that that no longer matters. You know. So so hopefully in the long term that's how we remember Jeff Saturday because I think it's how we should remember Jeff Saturday. Uh, he's he's got you know he's got a hell of a as John Gruden used to say. Not that I make a habit of quoting him anymore, but. Uh, he used to say, you know, the back of his football card is pretty damn impressive, you know, and it still is. It's, and it's always going to be. <laughs> so, you know, he's got his name up there in the ring of honor, you know, so that's, that's Jeff Saturday and that will always be Jeff Saturday. And, you know, I think that should take precedent over, you know, those, those eight games he coached uh, with little success. Uh, you're way younger to understand this, but I'll explain it this way anyway. Stephen Holler joins us. There was a Brady Bunch episode where Peter Brady popped some pubes, went through puberty, his voice changed, and they had a song called uh, When It's Time to Change. Wait we a minute, wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute, buddy, buddy, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen every episode of the Brady You Bunch, have okay? not. Don't tell I me you have. You just, you have just gone up. I mean, you're already very high in my book. You know that the way that it is. But you're, <laughs> you're, you're now one. up there with some it. of the all-time greats saying that. I love it. Right, I've seen it. Didn't they have like a little, like a, like a singing group yes. type of deal going yeah. on there? Yeah, yeah. Well, they voted Peter. Peter, you know, went through puberty. His voice was yep. changing a little bit, and and they had the audacity to vote the devote him out of the band, right? And. <laughs> That's right. I mean, and and they kept Bobby in. Bobby had zero singing voice or rhythm whatsoever, and they kept that little clown in there. I never understood that. But yeah, life ain't fair, man. Life but, ain't fair. But they, they had the song uh, "When It's Time to Change." You got to rearrange. So we have seen the change in the way that they've approached this hire, right, with the coach. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. fine. Are we going to see a change in what Chris Ballard prioritizes in a build, the construction of a team? Are we going to see much of a change of that, or is it going to be a lot of the same, protocol wise? Now that's a very fair question, and. I I would hope, okay, I would hope that the the coach that they ultimately hire uh, would would flex some of his muscle because when you're a new coach, <laughs> that's when that's when you're able to get what you want, right? That's when you're able to say, all right, listen, I'm in, but let's talk about what we're gonna do now, okay? And if if I'm that new coach, 
I'm asking for the moon, <laughs> okay? Because I want to hit this thing. I want to hit the ground running. And, you know, they got some things to work out financially, and, and that will dictate some things, obviously. But, but I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of truth to that. One of the things that I've always said, the reason I, I bring up the coach, the, the eventual hire, playing a role in this conversation is because I think one of Frank Reich's, um, one of the detriments to his own detriment, one of the qualities I think that was to his own detriment, is the fact that he was too nice. Too nice about circumstances, right? And so what I mean by that is he would just say, all right, well, I'll, I'll take who you got. You give me whoever you got. And he would always tell me things like that. You know, well, we're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. And I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes you can't make it work, man. Good coach, bad coach. You know, you got to have, you got to have the horses, you know, and, you know, not to be cliche with the horses, but you know, you got to have the talent, man. And I think he definitely fell into that. I don't want to say trap, but, but certainly definitely a nice guy about it. And look, I'm not saying that you should be on the other end of the spectrum. There are some coaches who are just, uh, they're, they're not capable of, of being, of having a good relationship with a good working relationship because they're never happy. Right. And they're always demanding things that aren't, aren't possible or what have you. That's the other end of the spectrum. Frank Reich was on the opposite end, which is, eh, I'll make it work. You know, we'll figure it out. So I don't know. It doesn't directly answer your question, but I hope that that coach puts a little pressure on Ballard to, to you know, do what he sees as necessary to get where they want to go. You think Frank will do that in his new job in Carolina? What he didn't do uh, here? Yeah, that's that's a good good question. Um, I, I do think that the I'm interested to to hear more about the the power structure there uh, because. The old power structure, I mean, I, I thought that uh, Matt Rule had a lot of power there, right? In fact, probably more so than the GM. I don't know that that was ever stated publicly, but, I mean, I'm just kind of judging by the gazillion-dollar contract they gave him, and, and he seemed to have the juice, if you will, right? So I don't know, I, I don't know what, you know what the setup is with Frank Reich. I'd be very interested to learn that. But I, I, I wonder if that's not a lesson that he learned, you know? I wonder, you know, I look, I mean, I talked to Frank after they cut or excuse me, after they decided to trade Carson Wentz, this is not the best example, but I'm just giving you an example. And, you know, he was a mess. He was like, you know, he was nervous as hell. He's like, what are we going to do? We don't have a quarterback. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is not to anyone's surprise, but I can share it now that he's gone. I mean, it doesn't matter now. Right. I mean, he was, he was not in a good place, man. That whole staff, I talked to a lot of those guys, and they were like, they were looking at me like, what are you hearing? I'm like, I don't know anything, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it was not, it's a bad place to be. And and so, you know, he kind of felt like he was at the mercy of the situation. And and that's not to absolve Frank Reich of, of any miscalculations he may have made, but I'm just saying that was kind of the reality he was dealing with at that time, which didn't feel very good. Yeah. I'm sorry, and also just uh, the uh, post-retirement photo of of Tom Brady. That's something right there. Oh man, listen. <laughs> when I retire, I, I, I ought to do that. We ought to all go home and take our own picture like that. I, I was not ready for that. That was a <laughs> that was a good morning right there. Good morning picture right there, boy. On, Wake up. <laughs> That is classic. Hey, that was like the first thing I saw on my timeline yesterday, dude. I was like, 
Jeez, I haven't had coffee yet. Exactly. Hey, Bubba Ventrone, what's the possibility that he's back? I, it's unclear, but I, I look, Bubba is Bubba has proven himself. I mean, if, if you're going to replace that guy, I don't know who you're replacing him with. Like, well, who's the upgrade? You know, as a special teams coordinator, who is the upgrade that, that you can go get? Who's not under contract? Did he not have any interest so, anyplace else? Is that something to well? I don't know. I I presume I haven't been told this, but I presume he's also under contract, and and they're waiting for that ah. to play out as well. But but I I haven't gotten that confirmed. But I I, I presume that he is uh, that he is under contract because I have not heard his name um, anywhere. I haven't heard about you know possible interviews outside of the Colts head coach interview. So. You know, I, I think you know. Let's. That's one where you you also discuss that with your candidates, and it would not surprise me. This is speculation, okay, to be clear. But it would not surprise me if the candidates, you know, kind of universally signed off on on Bubba Ventrone. I mean, you know, he's got he's got Frank Reich seal of approval. He's got Belichick seal of approval. You know, I mean, I think he is widely widely respected. It's uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com. Turn it up over there, would you, really quick? Hey, turn me up over there, would you? This right here. James, please. All right, Stephen, to close, here it is. And then winter turns to spring. (laughs) (laughs) For everything. This is when Peter went through puberty and his voice changed and they wrote a song about it. Time to change. So Chris Ballard, personnel-wise, it's time to change. (laughs) Right? I remember his voice got squeaky, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then Bobby's there just completely screwing everything up with his, I mean, rhythmless Bobby Brady. So bad. Yeah. So, all right, what you writing about? Uh, I have, actually, I'm taking a break, brother. Let them Good name a coach. And then, I, I listen, I went out to the Pro Bowl, and I didn't know I could write so many stories about flag football. Um, <laughs> but, listen, no, it was good, though. It was good. It, it, it's always good to be around that group. I mean, I walk out to practice, and it's like, oh, that guy's a stud. That guy's a stud. That right. guy's a stud. So you end up having good stories, you know, spend a little time with Ray Lewis, you know, the Mannings, and, you know, got to meet, you know, guys like Sauce Gardner, you know, the future of the league. So I've got a bunch of stories from the weekend about just, you know, that collection of talent out there. And, uh, yeah, I'm kind of waiting for the shoe to drop at this point, and I'm waiting for uh, for Sunday. Did so, you go to any shows out there? Me. Any shows? I did not. Uh, I, I may or may not have played a little blackjack. Nice. Um, now, um, I, I took about 800 bucks of their money the first two nights. And then um, let's just say I gave some of it back. Oh, you did you give it all back? Uh, not all. Okay, well that's good. <laughs> more, good. More than I wanted, but I did. I came home. I came home on the positive side of the ledger. Some found money. Back. Found money is yeah. what he's saying for Stephen Holder in Las Vegas covering the Pro Bowl for ESPN. Hey, I appreciate you, man. And hey, listen, uh, listen, last, last thing I was just going to say. Hey, five days in Vegas is like is like three days too long. Okay, so like. Yeah, yeah. If I'd have left after two days, that'd have been good. We went out there in 1994, I believe, in 1994 for a bachelor party for my uh, my friend, and we were going to stay for five days. The rest of their crew coming in for like two, so we rented a jeep and drove to Los Angeles for two days because uh, we got call. out there early. Good call. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's probably less trouble in L.A. if you can believe that. No, oh, it was it was uh, LA. We went to the, the the Viper Room, Johnny Depp's Viper Room, and uh, nice. Yeah, uh, and I, that was on a Tuesday night, I think. It was a fifty dollar cover charge on a Tuesday night. I know, I know. They Jeez. saw they saw my ID from Indiana and said we're going to charge this guy fifty bucks. There's no way. <laughs> I bet if you had a California ID, you probably paid fifteen. That's right. That's right. We're not letting That's this right. hillbilly. We're not letting this hillbilly in here. So. You're lucky we're letting you in. You're from Indiana. Exactly. All right, buddy. I appreciate you. All right, buddy. Andy Moore on. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Automotive Group Hotline from everything sports around here. Greg Rakestraw joins us. I'm just going to go ahead and make it short and sweet. Everything sports around here. Greg Rakestraw is with us. That's fair, and I will never tell you to shut up, John. Can you get this guy just to be quiet here? Uh, we said six minutes, and he's been there 26. <laughs> and I'm sorry. You should have known that. That should have been understood before I sat down. And, and by the way, I love technology today. I did this I did this video. I was sitting in the uh, Kroger parking lot in Beach Grove doing it. Seriously. In Beach Grove in the Kroger parking lot doing this this back-and-forth interview with New Edition. It was awesome. That's one, that's one of the coolest things to happen in Beach Grove in a long time, John. <laughs> it was absolutely awesome. Hey, IU Rutgers coming up later on tonight. IU coming off that win at home. Now, I feel better about this because it's a home date as opposed to if they were on the road. But, man, you talk about being a pain in the ass to IU. Rutgers has been front and center over the years. Yeah, they're probably better known for being said pain in the backside to Purdue the last couple of years. But how about Rutgers is just simply, you know, no longer a doormat. They have at least in basketball, not in football, but in basketball proven they are capable of being a quality Big Ten team and an NCAA tournament team. And to me, this is the absolute definition of a trap game. You just had this huge emotional win over the number one team in the country and your chief rival, And less than 72 hours later, here comes another really good team down the pike. Yes, they're in Bloomington. That makes a world of difference. But um, don't be surprised. Tonight's a struggle for the Hoosiers just because Rutgers, I think, is a pretty solid team. Uh, Greg Regstraw, standout from Lanesville, Indiana, most notably has never trusted a big butt in a smile, joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I'm sorry I had to bring that in there with Bell Bib DeVoe references a little bit earlier. But Rutgers, well, go ahead. I know what you're putting down there, John. We're good. <laughs> Rutgers, to me, they they can be lethal, but at times they're not. It seems like there's not a great deal at times of in between with them. You get the same thing when you watch them play. You know who else that sounds like, John? Uh huh. The Indiana Hoosiers. It sounds like who they're um, playing tonight. Because they they have been they they have had some rock fights in games, even the ones they have won kind of like the one in Minnesota where Minnesota was so undermanned and frankly not good in the first place. And Indiana's kind of had to claw and scratch and found the way to get out of the barn with a victory. I think back to the Rutgers game, they played against Seton Hall back in December and that set basketball back 15 years. Yet a couple, three weeks later, you know, they go into Mackey and they, as of now, have the only win at Mackey so far this year. That belongs to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. So, 
Again, Indiana in that same boat, you know, for whatever reason, Trace Jackson Davis or Jalen Ochefino have a rough night, which they have had fewer of those as of late, as evidenced by the majority of wins Indiana's picked up other than Maryland last week. But Indiana's kind of a non-happy medium sort of team as well. They're really good or they're really bad, and, and Rutgers can deliver the exact same type of basketball. I mentioned this regarding Saturday's win over Purdue for IU is twofold here. One was that that's what this rivalry is supposed to be like, not because IU won, but because both sides were right there. That's what we expect, Greg, from that rivalry. But it seemed like the, the script, was flipped a little bit you know outside of the turnovers and missed free throws especially in the first half from Matt Painter's team it was Purdue searching for that that second option that offensive support that wasn't there and it was IU with Trace Jackson Davis that was getting it and we've talked about the fact if he gets that support IU can be really good when he doesn't it's a struggle I thought that it was the first time that the freshman looked like freshman for Purdue and for all of the huge stages that Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith played on as high school basketball players, and for what physically those guys prepared themselves to do as high school hoopers, as AAU ballers, etc., there's nothing that they have been a part of that could replicate them for that. And that is the unique nature, the lion's den that is Assembly Hall when it's roaring, when it has that level of national stage, as it did on Saturday afternoon. And obviously, Mackey Arena can be, can be very similar, but 14,000 fans aren't against Brayden and Fletcher the way that 17,000 fans were on, on Saturday afternoon. So, I, I, again, Indiana played great, and Indiana did what they're supposed to in that rivalry, and that is protect home court. And now the good news is, John, we're going to see again in 18 days the other variety in terms of Mackey. So this wasn't, you know, I, I didn't come out of there with all of a sudden these big question marks about Purdue. It was more validation of, all right, when Indiana is at their best, they can be amongst the best teams in college basketball. That was my takeaway more than anything that was wrong with Purdue on Saturday afternoon. He's Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So in the Big Ten, at least the pecking order right now is Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis, player of the year-wise. Does it go, you think, the same direction nationally? I know Zach Eady's at the top of the list. Where does Trace rank nationally, you think, right now with his body of work? I think Trace is not far behind him. Uh, you would probably mix in – you know, some other guys in terms of the national scope, I mean, let's face it, you know, uh, the, the distance between one and two in terms of the Big Ten, Purdue and Indiana, a little more spread out when you get to the top 25 between where Purdue and Indiana are currently rated. So there will be others that will kind of mix in there. Now, do I think that Trace Jackson Davis is a first-team All-American? Probably. But is there another player or two that might wedge themselves between those two guys in terms of the National Player of the Year honors? That's probably the case as well. It's uh, Greg Gregstraw. He is with us. Uh, we've, we talked about Butler, Indiana State. I do want to bring this up, and I know they're in the midst of a losing streak right now. But turn your attention for a moment, because I know you pay attention, to year number one in D1 for Southern Indiana and Stan Gerrard. How was that look? to you this season I, I i don't know about you i've been incredibly impressed even with their they're going through that losing skid right now what's been your impression in year number one at evansville they've got the facility they've got the head coach they've got the fan base 
Um, it, it, it was going to be as seamless of a transition as it could be for USI. And not surprisingly, Bellarmine's transition is going in a similar fashion. Yeah. Northern Kentucky is a program that has gone from Division II national powerhouse to at least a regular conference championship contender in the Horizon League. So I'm not surprised at all that USI is doing what they are doing. And there's going to be an adjustment period. And, and I'm curious to see, because it's kind of a unique circumstance, Sam's got a couple of kids in Trevor Lakes from Lebanon that played for him at UNE, then went to Nebraska, and now is playing for him again. And then Jacob Polakovich, who played for him at UND, then transferred with him to USI last year. A couple of older, stronger, physical, bigger guys, and I'm, and I'm not sure if that same recruiting hook is going to be there after those guys' eligibility expires. You know, can you, can you find similar kids that will want to come in and grad transfer or whatever when you know you can't play in the NCAA tournament for three more years after this one? So there might actually be a, a, a slight dip for the Screaming Eagles the next couple of years in terms of trying to find the right pieces. Um, and, and now if you're staying, you're almost kind of going the opposite of what other teams do. Other teams are kind of going for those 22- and 23-year and 4- and 5-year guys. Um, you know, he's going to try to build maybe with freshmen that other programs are overlooking with the idea of, hey, you know, we'll redshirt you at some point. That way you've got at least a couple of years to be eligible to play in an NCAA tournament. So I'm not surprised that USI has been competitive as you as, as much as you can be in the jump if you first year in Division One because all of the right pieces, coach, facility, administration, campus are in place then to be successful in a league like the Ohio Valley Conference. ISC Network got any girls regionals going on this weekend? We're going to be going to uh, Greencastle for Cascade and Chittard. We're going to be going to southwestern of Shelbyville, Ooh. or Shelby County, right. depending on how it is referenced, uh, for Eminence, uh, on Bloomfield, and, and good on the Lady Eels winning a girls' sectional for the first time in 24 years, one of the, uh, one of the smallest public high schools in the state. So happy for them. And as for me, I get a Saturday off. So I can make my first appearance at West Washington in about 30 years, taking Moss Raw with me. We're going to go watch Lanesville play in the regional for you. the Trojans of Wood Memorial. Good for you right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Morning Wood Memorial's in the house in the regional. I forgot exactly. about that. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're playing. They're playing that game in the evening, so that analogy doesn't have to apply. That's probably a evening Wood Memorial in the house. Hey, that's a great story, by the way, regarding Eminence too. The eel tank has been rocking, and I, I believe you go back to the start of the boys' season, and this is kind of what happens out in the country like that. Certainly, we both know of this as well. Evidently. Somebody had crashed into a light pole, an electrical pole near the eel tank, and all the electricity went off. And they had to delay the game or postpone the game, I believe. Stuff that can happen near the eel tank. But no, that is a fantastic story from somebody that has spent a couple of different nights playing back in the day in the eel tank. Hell of a story there. And I have broadcast games in the eel tank before. Uh, I have been on the call a couple of different times. And I think it's 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 the the keg of nails, the powder kegs, the, the Eminence Monrovia rivalry, which has been tilted in favor of Monrovia as Monrovia has grown, and Eminence really kind of hasn't, but they still play each other in an early season doubleheader every year. So it's been a, it's been a few years since I've been there. I've not yep. played in the tank, 
But I have broadcast a couple of games in the tank over the years. Insert joke here. I want to say that back in the day, I was a freshman and playing for Eastern at Eminence. It might have been my first game at the high school level. And they had a dude that was, I think his name was Ed Webb. He was 6'5". I think he might have been six foot eight if he just stood up straight. But he was about 6'5". <laughs> he was a good player back in the day for them. Perhaps at Eminence they did not have like passageways that were tall enough to fit a guy that was six eight, so he kind of corrected himself into being six five. I think he had slept in a five foot eleven bed all his life or something, something like that. So, but no, nah, he was Poor like six five, but he was a he was a good high school basketball player back in the day. That's a hell of a story. Your Lanesville squad's a hell of a story, and I, I know this because my my friend Jeff Allen in Bedford North Lawrence is going to be coaching it up. Uh, they're hosting the regional down there with both uh, Mike Armstrong's Franklin team and Center Grove, a part of that bracket too, right? Yeah, Center Grove and Franklin are playing each other, and then Bedford got the winner, which I think is a surprise winner out of Evansville because I think kind of the two favorites in North and Castle, I want to say kind of got knocked off. That, that tournament was kind of spaced out because of the snow and ice down there. Um, and so Bedford would be the likely favorite. They were the highest-rated team in the southern half of the bracket to come out and while I don't know this for sure, my best guess would be is that Bedford would come to Shelbyville for the semi state because the other teams in that uh, in that semi state will likely all be from the Indianapolis area, including the Center Grove Franklin winner. That'll be regional is one game and not two and the semi-states are back to being two games affairs next Saturday. Do you like that? Somebody had asked Terry had sent me a tweet about that. Do you like the way they're doing that? So here, here are the two things, the biggest positives that come from it. Yeah. Um, one, you get 32 communities talking about the semi-state and not 16. That's a good thing. It's more interest in the tournament. Two, you also get to use more great gyms later in the tournament. So, for example, the southern semi-states are played at Jasper, New Albany, Greencastle, and Shelbyville, and the fact that the McAnally Center in Greencastle and the Bill Garrett Maze in Shelbyville get to be in use longer. I'm all for that. The northern half is LaPorte, Logansport, Huntington North, and Case Arena. And anytime the home of the Western University Dolphins gets a little extra love. And if you've never been to Case Arena at Frankfurt, they have a wonderful museum talking about Frankfurt's history. But frankly, you will see Shaquille O'Neal's you know, uniform, Neon Badeau, all out of the stuff behind the scenes of the filming of Blue Chips. So if you happen to be going to Frankfurt at some point in the next couple of weeks, watching a regional or a semi-state game, go check that out because it's really cool. Were you a big fan of Blue Chips? Um, it, was, it was like a lot of movies in 1994 that from a sports perspective, they were awesomely bad. Like the older that I get, I probably enjoy it more. There is a Pete Bell line that I probably use or hear in my head about most things in life um, that I will reference. And I would have I, – literally that movie was filmed, like I think, in the summer of 93 right. and then debuted in 94. So it's a year before I moved up to central Indiana. If I had been here at that time and basically you would have had this opportunity in a 5,000-seat gym because they basically just told the guys, go play. And then they filmed around it, and then they only had a couple of kind of scripted moments for the movie. But think about the talent that they put together to play on those four basketball teams. It was basically the top college players from like 92, 93, and 94 got together and had an open gym. And there were 5,000 folks to go watch it. 
I would have loved to have come up to Frankfurt and been a part of watching that 30 years ago. And it's still, it's so unfortunate it was such an awful movie. <laughs> you know, seriously. I mean, how, how, with all that talent, how can you screw it up that bad? Awesomely bad is the way that I would like to, to, to reference it, is how I would say it. Greg Rakestraw does everything sports here in central Indiana. ISC Network, so much more with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And uh, consistent Saturday in and Saturday night outs of requesting Jamvy takeover songs. Great win this yeah, past yeah, weekend, so- too. Well, thank you. What, what are, are we going like a Valentine's Day theme for this weekend? Has that been determined just yet? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'll probably mix in some long-distance dedications, yes. Okay. Yeah. The cool thing is is that uh, because of the strength of the B1057 signal, when I call in Saturday night, I'll probably be calling in from Greene County nice. on the Redneck Autobahn. So it'll add that much more class to the operation come Saturday. Long-distance dedication action going on. Greg, call in. I appreciate you.